Okay, so here we are, Revelation chapter 9, get a refresher. So remember, uh, the judgments of the book of Revelation, there are three sets of judgments. They unfold like a telescope. Uh, three sets of seven, there are seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, which is where we are tonight, and seven bowl judgments. The bowl judgments are the last set, but they unfold like a telescope. Three seal judgments, three trumpet judgments, three bold judgments. Simple enough to understand uh, how that goes. By the time we reach chapter 8, which is where we were last time, all of the seal judgments were done, the first set of seven. Uh, when you get to chapter 8, the second set of seven begins to be unfolded like a telescope, the, the uh, trumpet judgments. And in chapter 8, we looked at four trumpet judgments. And with the trumpet judgments, here you can see this in this diagram, you have the first, second, third, and fourth chapter 8. We're looking at the 5th and 6th in this message. That's chapter 9. And uh, with the first set of judgments, the trumpet judgments, they affected the environment. You remember that? As we looked at that, we considered that men worship the environment. And in the, when it comes to the first four trumpet judgments, God says, you worship the environment, I'm going to judge the earth and the environment specifically. But when you get to these two judgments of chapter 9, the fifth and sixth judgments, uh, they have nothing to do with the environment. Uh, here there are freaky looking creatures that are released from the bottomless pit, and they attack men. What's interesting, they attack people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. They attack people who... Uh, are not part of the 144,000, the 12,000 of, of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it, what happens is so bad to the people on the planet at that time. This is the future. Now, this is a warning. People ask me, why do you teach something that's coming in the future? Um, so we would know, for one thing, we can tell what time it is on the prophetic clock. Jesus tells us to watch and be ready. He tells us what signs to look for. We, we are expected to be looking up and expecting is what the New Testament uh, also teaches us, that we should be, but also it, uh, we're able to be prepared and at the same time we're able to warn people this is the way things are going to unfold. Folks, you don't want to be here for that time. I'm telling you right now, you're going to see this in just a minute and you're thinking, you're right, I don't want to be here for this time. And hopefully anybody who goes through a passage like this and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll look at this and go, I don't want to take my chances. I don't want to be here through that time. And they might come to know Christ. But think of it this way. In chapter 8, the first four trumpet judgments are done. At the end of the fourth trumpet judgment, we read this in verse 13 of chapter 8. John writes, and I looked, verse 13, chapter 8, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of the heavens saying, with a loud voice, woe, 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 three woes, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels that are about to sound. I'm just going to suggest to you, plus I've read ahead, woe, 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 this is not good. It is not something you're going to want to be here for and you're about ready to find out why. You ready? Chapter 9, verse 1. 
Then the fifth angel sounded. So we are now at the fifth trumpet judgment. Following that? John writes, and I saw, chapter 9, verse 1, a star fallen from heaven to earth, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, smoke rose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as, of, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, aha, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Wow! So in chapter 8, with the first four trumpet judgments, it was you're going to harm the environment. You're going to harm everything that's green. Here, with these creatures... They said, you aren't going to do that. You're not going to harm the environment at all. Not this time around. This time you're going after specific men, men that do not have uh, the seal of God on their forehead. But we begin here, verse uh, 1, and we come to this place, and it says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So that takes us to this first question. What is this falling Star. Well, when we think of the word star in the New Testament, you go to the book of Revelation, you have the Greek word aster, and it typically means asteroid or meteorite or literal stars like that falling from heaven. However, there's a problem with that here. It can't mean that. The reason why this star is different. Can't be a meteor, can't be an asteroid. This star is different because the personal pronoun him is ascribed to this star. Look again, verse 1, a star fallen from heaven to earth, to him was given the keys to the bottomless pit. So sometimes when it comes to the term star in the New Testament, it is also referring to an angel. So since this is a hymn, it's not referring to an asteroid or meteor or something like that. It's a hymn. It is, in this case, referring to an angel. So there's an angel given a key to the bottomless pit. Following so far? Okay, so if this is an angel, that takes number two. Who is then this falling star? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly who it is. I say it could be Satan. Uh, many Bible scholars say it's Satan. Uh, why is that? Because Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 says this. How you are fallen, this is God speaking about Satan, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. There's the key there, Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Okay, so the term Lucifer, son of the morning, means the son of the morning literally means day star. And the term Lucifer is the Latin name for the planet Venus. When you look out in the eastern sky early in the morning, you'll see the super bright star for much of the year, and that's Venus out there. And so when you look at this, a Bible scholars say, aha, when God says him, this star has fallen, uh, this star has the key to the bottomless pit. Many scholars say this is Satan himself with the key to the bottomless pit, 
And this angel said, go take that key and unlock whatever is in that bottomless pit. But other scholars say, well, it's not Satan. It's a high-ranking demon. I'm not sure exactly if it's Satan or if it's a high-ranking demon. I'm absolutely convinced it is one of those two. And this, this demonic being is given the key to the bottomless pit, which takes us to number three. What is the bottomless pit? Well, to help us get a little bit more clarity on what the bottomless pit is here, uh, the, uh, the King James Bible, New King James Bible, doesn't have it quite as accurate as the NIV does. Uh, the NIV gives us a, a, a little bit more, better of a translation here, uh, where the NIV says in chapter 9, verse 1, the star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Uh, whether you call it the bottomless pit or the abyss, the meaning is the same, and the imagery is dramatic, but in the Greek, a bottomless pit is literally abuso, so we get our English word abyss. Now with that, I, I want you to think in your mind um, about something that happened in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those Gospels tell about this incident. It was a time when the man at Gadarenes, uh, one, one of the Gospels says there's two men, uh, but uh, whether uh, you have both with more clarity, the one with two gives us a little bit more clarity, but I'll focus on just one or two either way. Um, you have the man or the men that are possessed by a legion of demons. You know that story? So Jesus, he's on the Sea of Galilee, pulls up on the shore. He goes over to the cemetery where the men or the men were, and uh, they were chained there. And they kept breaking the chains. They had this superhuman strength because they had these demons. Jesus asked them, what is your name? The demon spoke, or the king of the demons inside the person spoke and said, we are legion, for we are, I am legion, for we are many. Remember that? Okay, remember what happened next? Jesus cast the demons, the many demons, possibly a thousand demons in the one man. He cast the demons out of the man, and remember what was said to Jesus by the demon or the king of these demons that were in these, this, these people's, these two men's bodies? It was this, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 31. They begged Jesus that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Remember that? So what did Jesus do? He cast them into the pigs. Hence, he had deviled ham. First time you had deviled ham in the Bible. So... What? You, did you not? Do you not have deviled ham in that passage? Yes, you do. So, <laughs> that's a, that is an old preacher joke. That joke has been around almost as long as, I don't know, as long as deviled ham has been around. I'll tell you that much. But the abyss, chapter 8, verse 31 of Luke, is the same word that's used in Revelation chapter 9. And notice that the demons are terrified of the abyss. They beg Jesus not to send them there. Why? Because it is a place of torment. A parallel passage of the demons being cast out of the man or the two men is from Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, that says, And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we, that be the demons crying out, to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Interesting. 
Matthew's account doesn't talk doesn't mention the word abyss. Luke does. But you put these two together and we see that the abyss is a place of torment for demon entities. Okay. Ready? A little bit more demonology. I don't mean to freak you out. Don't worry. We're going to get to Jesus before we're done. Um, number four, where are the demons now? Uh, some are roaming this world. The Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and there is a certain hierarchy of demons that do his work. Uh, we also learn from the story of the man, the man or the two men that were in the cemetery possessed by uh, these demons. We learn these things. We learn that Jesus has the authority to send demons into the abyss. We learn that demons seem to be sent to the abyss at least occasionally, right? Because the demons that were cast out of the man of gatherings said, don't send us there now before our time. Interesting. Um, but not all demons are uh, there in the abyss since the gathering demons were in the world. And we also know that Jesus in his ministry, he was casting out demons. So we know there's demons on this planet and Quite frankly, there's a lot of demonic activity today. But also, the abyss seems to hold the worst of the worst uh, demons. Here in Revelation chapter 9, plus in 2 Peter chapter 2, we get a picture of God imprisoning some demons based upon their activities, based upon what they have done. Uh, for example, Alcatraz used to hold the worst of the worst prisoners, right? It appears the abyss holds the worst of the worst demons. If Peter says it this way, 2 Peter chapter 2, I find this verse so fascinating in light of Revelation chapter 9. Peter writes, God did not spare the angels who sinned. So the angels that sinned are not good angels, they're bad angels, aka demons. Okay? So that's what a demon is. A demon is a bad angel. That's what it is, right? So God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Interesting. It seems that Peter is referring to, I believe, these fallen angels right here in Revelation chapter 9. Um, and the real confirmation of it is Peter wrote that these demons are held in this place in chains, some type of chains, that is able to hold demonic creatures. So these aren't metal chains, you know, some kind of whatever, however it is that God works that out in the spiritual world. Um, but they're held there, what for? To be reserved for judgment. What judgment? It makes most sense that, that it is this judgment right here of Revelation chapter 9. Um, these are the worst of the demons. And here in chapter 9, God turns over the key of the abyss, or the bottomless pit, to let them out. And look what happens. Verse 2 tells us that when this is opened up, this abyss, smoke rises out, dark sooty smoke, as from a furnace. And the smoke darkens the sun, and it fills the air. And out of it, out of the smoke come Locust. Now, is it smoke like a fire? Or is what's actually happening, it appears to be smoke because there are so many demonic creatures that are coming out of the abyss at this time? Uh, I don't know. 
but I, I, I think that uh, it probably looks like smoke because there are so many of them. And then look at the description of these freaky-looking things. Let's start at verse 3 again. Out of the smoke locusts came on the earth, and to them was given power, as of scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth again, or any green thing, or any tree. Only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them. But look at this. To torment them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes men in those days. Look at verse 6. Men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. Wow. I, I look at that and I think in our day and age, there's a, a lot of people that are saying, I feel so bad, and they're giving themselves over to euthanasia, to, to die. They've got a disease or whatever. Courts are saying it's okay and so forth. You come to this, men are going to want to die. They're not going to be able to die. So you look at this, it brings question number five. What is it that these demons actually do? Simple. They torment or they torture people that they sting or whatever it is they do to them. God restricts them so they cannot kill. But it's even worse than that. The torment is so bad that people stung by these demons will wish to die, but they cannot. Uh, and the torment is just added um, because men will not even be able to commit suicide and this lasts for five months. It's going to be so, they're going to be so miserable when this sting happens. Wow. But they cannot die. It's like the sting of the scorpion. Uh, the worst scorpion sting in the United States is usually said to be that of the Arizona bark scorpion. Here's the description. No? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let me just, just pl plug your ears, whoever said no, right? The venom, uh, the rest of you can pl plug your ears too, I guess. The venom causes instant blinding pain that can actually cause confusion and hyperventilation. The affected limb, you don't have to look at the screen. Does that look, freak you out too? All right, well, close your eyes if it does. <laughs> some of you think it's great. Um, the affected limb may go numb, and the spot of the original sting is commonly still numb even months after the sting. The pain has been described as electrical jolt. Despite the power of the sting, fatalities among humans are rare. Praise the Lord. People who exhibit an extreme reaction to the venom may froth at the mouth and have trouble breathing. Doesn't sound pleasant. Part of the paralytic reaction that mimics seizures. So, the, so the, the sting of the scorpions will be something like that. Um, however, I want you to consider this. The picture of the scorpion you're looking up, you're, you see on the screen, is called the death stalker scorpion. It's different than the one I just read about from Arizona. Uh, the death stalker scorpion is also known as the Palestine scorpion or the Israeli scorpion because it's, it's part of the Judean desert. In fact, I was talking with my friend Yossi. You know Yossi? So I was talking with Yossi about he was stung by a death stalker scorpion when he was in the uh, Judean desert while he was sleeping. He ended up in the hospital. He said he lost consciousness for four days, had to have an IV. The death stalker scorpions 
uh, realistically the imagery that John has here. Remember, the book of Revelation is primarily about the Jews uh, and, and what's coming upon the land of, Jew, uh, of, of Israel and to the Jewish people as God is restoring them, right? He's, he's saving them out of this. And the whole world is affected by the various judgments. So realistically, the scorpion that John is referring to in to give us the imagery is this death stalker scorpion, the Israeli scorpion or the a Palestine scorpion. The New York Presbyterian Hospital says this, the death stalker scorpion has the strongest poison of any scorpion. If stung, a person will experience extreme pain, convulsions, paralysis, and even death due to heart and respiratory failure. Right, so this is a really bad scorpion. Um, and as my friend Yossi said, it, he couldn't believe how horrible it was. Unconscious for four days and the whole bit. But in this, although this scorpion typically kills, John is right and saying these, these demonic creatures, this is going to be so bad, men will be this bad off, they're going to want to die, and they're not going to be able to. God's got it on hold for five months. Now I consider this, and remember the scorpion is just an imagery that God is giving us to help us understand. This is demonic stuff. Remember, these things came out of the abyss. Like, like this crazy look that they had, smoke and all these things and this, this sting from them, right? And they're going all over, stinging people who don't have the seal of God on their forehead. Uh, primarily, I believe that refers to the 144,000 Jewish men who have the seal of God. Um, but it could also be anybody who is saved during the tribulation period because they're then sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but nevertheless, you look at that, and I think, okay, men are not able to die for five months. They're in absolute torment. They're not going to repent. Um, I cannot help but liken this to the reality of hell, and I believe God is using, is using this passage that we just read right now to wake up people who do not receive Christ. Because here's the thing with this. When a person dies without Christ and they are judged for this sin, they are sent into the eternal abyss. They will wish they could die, and they will never be able to die forever. This is for five months. God is warning, this is for five, it's going to be really bad. But a person that dies with Christ, can you imagine that? They will never, they'll go into the eternal abyss. They wish they could disappear forever, and they won't be able to. And that the strange thing is, understand this, when a person is in that place, in that eternal state in hell, although they will curse, they will, they will never repent, they will never want to repent, they will still curse God. There comes a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every single one of them. That means people who believe in him and those who don't. Some that bow to Jesus in that place are bowing him to confession unto their salvation. Others are bowing to him unto their own condemnation. And they would still, for all of eternity, refuse to repent, but wish they could be annihilated, but they won't. I believe God gives us this picture of these demons to help us understand, uh, look, this is, this is really bad stuff. Okay, so you ready? Enough of that. You want any more bad news? No? Well, next week we won't have any bad news. <laughs> Number six, we go to this question. Who is Abaddon? Not Aladdin from Disney. Abaddon. Verse seven, look at this. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, now we get the description, right? were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like faces of men. 
They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. What kind of creatures are these? If they had breastplates uh, like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings on their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. So we get this more of a description, and you hear this thing, and, and some people look at this, they put in imagery, um, and, and things. now they'll say, well, these are drones that are sent out all over the earth. Uh, you know, it, it's easy to say, here's a natural explanation. Um, drones, and they've got this power, and they're stinging these people who don't have the seal of God on their forehead. I say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, for one thing, they're out of the bottom, they're out of the abyss. These are demonic creatures. Besides that, why would the creators of drones, unsaved men, at that point in the tribulation, go and kill unsaved men? Why would they kill all the believers, right? So it doesn't make any sense. It appears to be a supernatural demonic thing that has been taking place. And then look at this. Uh, and they had as king over them, verse 11, the angel of the bottomless pit, right? The one we read about that had the key. So now there's a king whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek his name was Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Yikes, this is enough woes for me. Um, but who is Abaddon, right? Okay, so the, the term Abaddon, so we just get more description of what we read about in the first part. So this won't take long, but the Hebrew name of Abaddon, Greek name Apollyon, it actually tells us there, both names mean uh, destroyer. So again, some scholars think this is Satan. Some think it's a high-ranking demon. Um, I don't know which one for sure, but definitely one of the two. I mean, this is, he's the king over these demons that are in the abyss, right? He's the king of them. Um, but the word Abaddon in the Old Testament, it's used six different times, is uh, the place name of the abode of the dead. It's not a passive kind of death place, but a place of ongoing destruction. It is uh, where the demons are chained, waiting for the judgment day. And that appears to be what's going on here, right? So we ended there in that section. One woe was passed, two more are coming, but tonight we're only looking at one. And next week we're not even going to look at a woe. Next week it's all great news. You need some good news. I see some of your faces. Some of your faces are looking like, oh, why did I come tonight? Don't worry, it's going to get far worse right now. You ready? <laughs> okay. I better just quit. One woe was passed. You ready? Okay, here we go. Now it's going to get exciting. It really is. Uh, and this really isn't bad, right? Verse, <laughs> verse well, it's not bad to me. <laughs> verse 13. <laughs> you wonder why I have nightmares? Why I can't sleep at night? I do this stuff all the time, like every day. Then the sixth angel sounded, verse 13. So this is the next woe. So this is the sixth trumpet judgment. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. And I heard the number of them. 
And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur uh, yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. So, wow, what is going on here? This is going to be exciting. In chapter 8, we were introduced to uh, an altar that comes into play here in the verses that we just read again in chapter 9, um, verse 13. But in chapter 8, verse 3, you can look over there. John writes, and another angel came and stood at the altar. That angel was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And now from this altar, a voice speaks, chapter 8, verse 3, release the four angels who are bound at the great, uh, at the great works here in chapter, excuse me, in chapter 9, verse 13. No, wait. Yeah, way back in, where did 8 verse 3, I'm all mixed up. Release the four angels who are bound at the golden, uh, at, the, at, at the great river Euphrates, right? Is that what I'm talking about? Where am I? Is this New York City? You ever see that Southwest Airlines commercial, you want to get away? Yeah. Who am I? The river Euphrates. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So we now with that, um, we usually associate the word angel with the good guys on God's team, right? So you have the angel that's good that's pouring out the judgment, but you have the other angels that are bad. We have four angels that are at the great river Euphrates, and apparently these angels are really bad, super bad demons. Each of these angels com commands a portion of the vast demonic army that's going to be revealed uh, in these verses. Um, the timing of the release of the angels is specific because they have been, as verse 15 tells us, look at this, prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year to be released to kill a third of mankind. Huh. So you look at this, and I can't help but wonder uh, about them. It's very specific. The hour, the day, the, like the exact moment. God knew it. I bring in this judgment. They've been prepared in this place where they have been held, bound at the river Euphrates. This is another reminder of what Peter said. God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for the day of judgment. Okay. So these angels apparently bring a judgment that kills a third of mankind. However, we're told here, look at this, verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Okay. So this takes us to another question. Um, who or what is the army of 200 million? Okay, now I'm going to ruin some of your thoughts. 
But I believe I, I, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you, a, a help you to understand what's going on here, what is, doesn't look like it's going on here. In fact, Don Stewart and I were even discussing this via text before first service this morning. Um, now with that, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you, like me, have been in Bible prophecy long enough where you heard that China is going to come into the place of Armageddon over the Euphrates with an army of 200 million. Okay, that's, if you've been in Bible prophecy for a while, you've heard that. That's taught, by the way, by some of my mentors. And they've been so helpful to me over, over uh, the years. Um, uh, here's the problem. Uh, they help me in so many areas. But I think they're wrong. I, I just do, and I'm going to show you why, all right? So, okay, here we go. Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, the Bible says this. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east, from the east, might be prepared. Okay. Here's what happens. Chapter 9, chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. I'll do my best to help you to understand what I'm saying. Um, chapter 9, we're reading about the sixth trumpet judgment. Chapter 16, we're reading about the sixth bowl judgment. Okay, we have those similarities. Chapter 9, we just read there's four demons that are held bound at the great river Euphrates. They oversee an army of 200 million. Chapter 16, we have the great river Euphrates again. And at the great river Euphrates, it is dried up. And when it's dried up, kings from the east, their way is prepared so they can come over the great river Euphrates. Okay. Got that? Those are the only similarities in the two passages. The great river Euphrates, and they both have a sixth judgment. That's it. Um, Chapter 9, angels are bound at the river, demons are bound at the river Euphrates. Chapter 16, the river Euphrates is dried up and kings from the east come over. Okay, so here goes part number one to destroy things. Okay, this is the great river Euphrates. See that? Okay, uh, here's Syria, you can see that. Iraq is over here, Iran is over here. Israel is, oh, there's Beirut, there's Jerusalem. So here's the river Euphrates. The river Euphrates was the demarcation line of ancient Israel. Anything east of the Euphrates River was considered east. So kings of the east is referring to anything east of the Euphrates. That can mean India, it can mean China, it can mean Iran, it can mean Iraq, right? In fact, the Euphrates goes through Iraq, right there, you see it? Uh, Babylon would be in that area, right? So you look at this. China would be, can you see that red dot? Way over here in comparison. Okay, now you can see it, right? I mean, that's how far, okay, now, now the distance doesn't matter because uh, coming a distance is possible. But understand this, when you look at Bible prophecy and the second coming of Christ, you always have to take it into consideration of the epicenter, which is Israel and Jerusalem, and then the surrounding area around there. All Bible prophecy is centered there. And then it goes out. Everybody else that's not part of Israel or the uh, Arab peoples are really just players of some other sort in the grand picture. 
make sense? So when chapter 16 says the kings from the east are coming over the dried up Euphrates into the place of Armageddon, which is in Israel, um, they're east of the Euphrates. Doesn't have to mean China at all, but kings, plural, from the east. Okay, easy enough, right? You guys follow me so far? Didn't ruin anything yet? Okay, now I'm going to. There are scholars that are brilliant. Some are friends of mine, used to be till today and yesterday. <laughs> that say this is 200 million men from China that come across the Euphrates. What happened was decades ago, China had the ability to have 200 million troops. When that happened, a lot of Bible teachers, prophecy teachers, said, ah, 200 million kings from the east, connect them. They threw out that they're two completely different judgments, trumpet judgments and bowl judgments, right? Two different chapters, two different things. Euphrates is really the only thing that's the same, right? It's just the same river. Now, here's the problem. With that, I want you to listen to this description. I saw uh, the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red. Consider this description. Hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. Heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. So the fire, the smoke out of the front of them. So the teaching has been that these are tanks, right? It's taking... It, what, what the thought is that scholars, uh, that John was looking into the future, trying to project what he was seeing in his visions, and what we know now is military equipment. All right, that's the thought. But it's trying to explain the supernatural in a natural way, the spiritual in a natural way. That's the attempt there, okay? And then it says this, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouth. So if those are tanks, do you see a problem yet? Okay, here's, here's the biggest problem. This is 200 million tanks then. There's not enough steel in the world to make 200 million tanks. But seriously, from everything I've read. Russia has the most tanks in the world, less than 25,000. All right? So if it's China coming from the east, um, they have less than 10,000. North Korea has less than 4,000. There is a huge problem getting to 200 million tanks. Does that make sense? Okay, so uh, with that, they also got to fit in the valley of Megiddo. This is Mount Megiddo. Um, this valley, that's the valley that we would call by this passage, or chapter 16, uh, Armageddon, uh, coming to that place. 200 million tanks to get across the dried up Euphrates River. Uh, I don't... I mean, 200 million individuals to try. Could you imagine if it wasn't even tanks, just troops marching? They would thrash everything along the way, pillage everything. How would you get, how would you get 200 million people from China over to Armageddon? That's a problem. So much of a problem, think of this. In the Gulf War, 1990-91, it took the U.S., which has the greatest logistics military in the world for relocating. It took the United States six months to relocate 500,000 troops. That's a half million. Six months. 
we're way ahead of Russia and, and uh, China in that regard. Six months, 500,000. To relocate with great logistics, 200 million soldiers, not all tanks, soldiers, 200 years. Uh, it, so when you, you start to look at it and go, okay, so what is going on to 200 uh, uh, million? Look, so I, I, I didn't want to ruin your thoughts if you've believed this. China, listen, I get that. And, and um, when I talked with Don Stewart this morning, um, he said in his new book, the newest one he has out, he presents both of these cases, the uh, one I just described to you plus the one that's been around for a long time. And then he said, you know, I let people make their own decision. But he said, here's what I really believe in. He leans toward me because I'm a genius. No, I'm kidding. No, I just, you know, that's on record. And people are going to say, gosh, that guy's so arrogant. It was a joke. It was a joke. But anyways, I, I, well, listen, when we go through the Bible, I want you to understand some things. Um, and and, and to, so, because I see things on China, I think, wow, China's a big player. I've thought that for years. And the more I've looked at it, listen, China could be part of the kings from the east. They very well could be this, I mean, they are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And they could be coming over. But ultimately, it won't be 200 million. There's, there's just, it's, it's an impossibility. But there are, I, I, I give to you, these are 200 million demons. They're let out by these four demons at the river Euphrates where they're held. And they go out and they destroy a third of mankind. So with that, yeah, absolutely, China could still be involved. I believe that is quite possible. Nevertheless, let's move on to the very last thing. You ready? It's going to get good in a minute. It's going to get good. We'll conclude on a good note. Verse 20, but the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues, look what they did. They did not repent, or look what they didn't do. They did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which cannot uh, neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Wow. I want you to just consider this, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, this is just out now. Um, here this says, this account, we're all different on the inside, trans-aged, uh, age-fluid, LGBT, so forth, love is love. So you have a man and a boy. The push is to legalize pedophilia in our world. Now, yeah, that's so a lot of you are shocked. That's the reality of the world in which we live. Things are going more and more that way. I believe after the rapture, this, thing, this will happen. It wasn't long ago where most anybody would just be appalled at something like that. How could that be? But I look at that and I look at this. They would not repent of their murders, sexual immorality, sorcerers, or thefts. And we have all of this demonic activity that is going on. People are choosing to do these things. Uh, people want to worship demons. They're bringing demonology and all sorts of things. Satan worship is increasing. God says, you want demons? Chapter 9 of the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm going to give you demons. Um, the Bible warns us about what is coming. And here's the thing. All of this demon talk tonight, it may give you some nightmares. That's not my intent. Here's my hope, is that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. We don't have to be here, amen, we don't have to be here for any of this evil. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. This is really, really, really good news. 
But every once in a while, I talk to people who say, well, I don't want to receive Christ now. Um, I'll just, I'll just, I just want to write it. I want to go into the tribulation period. Listen, this is what, this, so this, what you saw tonight? I mean, do you really want to go through that? No, I'm thinking you don't. I'm glad my citizenship is in heaven and that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to forgive us that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Amen.